You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving us this text, which is sacred, it's active, it's living. Um, we know that Psalm 23 has nourished many people uh, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I pray that, that as we um, finish this series, that, that this text would not be finished with us. I pray that in this final kind of installment of it, that, that Lord, you would, through your Holy Spirit, speak to every single individual here. I know there are people coming in here today from all different places, some who are super excited and feel like they're on top of the mountain, some who right now are in a valley. And I pray no matter where they are, that Holy Spirit, you would do what only you can do, that you would take this text and minister to each and every heart in a, in a really unique and special way today. And we ask that you would do this for our good and your glory. It's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these saints. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, eating uh, some Mexican food with a therapist friend of mine, and, and uh, in between bites, I asked him this question. I said, hey, uh, what could you see me doing if I wasn't a pastor? Like, like if I, you know, wasn't, you know, doing the whole pastor gig, like, like what do you think that I would need to do for a career? And, and like a good therapist, he answered my question with another question. He said, Jared, uh, what's behind that? And I was like, man, I, I, this, this isn't about, you know, like getting my heart and all that. Like, I just want you to answer the question. He's like, no, no, no. Like, like, like I, I get, you know, kind of what you're saying. But, but why would you ask such a question? And I began to kind of process that with him and think about, yeah, why did I ask that question? I didn't plan to ask it. It just kind of came out. And, and what I realized is the reason that I was asking that question is because when it comes to my life, I'm the kind of guy who likes to have a backup plan. Uh, I, now, don't get me wrong. I love my job as a pastor. I'm not thinking about quitting. I want to be a pastor for the rest of my life. But basically, what I was asking him is, uh, hey, what could you see me do just in case this didn't work out for me? Like, just in case I wasn't able to keep being a pastor. Just in case, you know, all of a sudden, like, the economy crashed and we had to, like, shut our doors or whatever it may be. Like, like then what could you see me doing? And that may not seem like a very big deal to you, but I, what I realized in this moment is part of the reason that I was trying to kind of ask this guy what would be a good plan B is because I'm the kind of guy who sometimes can live just waiting for the other shoe to fall, if that makes sense. Like rather than looking to the future and thinking, oh, it's incredibly bright and it's all going to be great and grand and beautiful, I'm the kind of guy who tends to be more pessimistic. I'm the kind of guy, it's like, it's just a matter of time before I get that phone call. It's just a matter of time before tragedy happens. It's just a matter of time before something goes wrong. And therefore, because of that, I'm the kind of guy who wants to have a backup plan. 
And not just do I want a backup plan, like I want a backup plan to the backup plan. And it's because ultimately I fear, again, that there's something that's going to happen to me in the future that's going to cause me ultimately to miss out on the life that I'm longing to experience. And maybe for some of you, you can relate to me this morning, for whatever the reason may be, you live with kind of this scarcity mindset, with this low-grade sense of anxiety or stress as you think about what's kind of coming around the corner of your life. And stress is devastating. I mean, you've all read the, the stats about what stress does, and a, a lot of our hospital visits are the result of stress. Stress causes skyrocketing cortisol levels. It causes high blood pressure, chest pain, chronic illness, cancer, poor sleep. I mean, it goes on and on. It causes all kinds of physical, mental, and relational breakdown in our life. And so if this is where you are today, if you're kind of like I can be at times living with this anxiety or this anticipatory fear of what might happen, which causes you to kind of live with this stress in your life, first off, I just want you to know you're not alone today. There's a lot of people who experience this. But secondly, I just want to say I'm so glad I'm so glad that you chose to be here today because as we come to the end of our series, I believe this verse, Psalm 23, 6, what we're going to discover in it is the secret to remaining calm even in the midst of the chaos. What we're going to discover right here in this verse is how we can go from living with anxiety and these high levels of stress to remaining confident and courageous no matter the circumstance. And so with that, uh, look back with me at this verse and Just as a reminder, David is writing this. David was a man, as we've already talked about, had extreme highs and extreme lows. He had great uh, uh, times in his life of victory, but also times of great tragedy. And as he looks at his life, here's what he says. Verse 6, Surely, God, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I know that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Two things I want you to see from this passage today. Two things, if you're taking notes, that if you take to heart, will change your life from the inside out. And the two things that David wants us to see today is he wants us to become aware of God's pursuit of us. And then secondly, he wants us to realize God's presence that is with us. These are two things that we must get if we're going to have courage and confidence no matter the circumstances. God's pursuit of us and God's presence with us. I want to say a short word on each. I'm going to draw some implications and then we'll be done. First off, God's pursuit of us. David says, again, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That word goodness that you see here is from the Hebrew word tov. And the very first place that we see this word in scriptures is actually in the creation account. In Genesis 1, remember, the Holy Spirit is hovering over this dark and chaotic kind of world. And then God begins to create. And when he creates, right, whether he creates light or animals or or sun or the moon or whatever, after he would create, he would declare what? He would say, it is good. And the word that he uses there is tov. He would create and he would say, it is tov, it is good. And David picking up on this idea, very well aware of the creation account, whenever he says, surely goodness or surely tov will follow me all the days of my life, what is he saying? Well, what he is saying is this, no matter how dark my life gets, or no matter how chaotic life becomes, my God is a God who is able to take chaos and always create order. 
He is a God who is able to take something that is bad and turn it into something that is beautiful. And David says this, I know God is doing in my life over and over and over. And how does he have this confidence? Because if you notice in the verse, it says not only is God's goodness following after me, but so is his love. And when you think of love, guys, please don't think of like the flat, shallow version of love that we see in rom-coms today or in our culture. But rather, whenever you think of love, the word that David uses here is the, is the Hebrew word hesed. It is an unconditional and steadfast love. Neurotheologian Jim Wilder says, it is a love that is all about secure attachment, which means... It is a love that says, no matter who you are or what you do or do not do, I am not going anywhere. Paul Miller wrote a book on Hesed love, and he says, excuse me, he says, this love is a love without an exit strategy. Isn't that beautiful? God's love is a love without an exit strategy. God is not trying to figure out, how can I get out of this thing? He's not just waiting to see, like, okay, just one more time, one more sin, one more screw up, like, I'm out. No, 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 like, there is no way out for him. He's not looking for that. You may be looking for a way out of the relationship with God. He is not looking for a way out of the relationship with you. And because God knows, or because David knows this is true, David says, no matter what is happening in my life, I know that the goodness and love of God will continue to follow me. And that word follow is an interesting word. It's the word radoth in the Hebrew. And it's actually a word everywhere else in Scripture, almost everywhere else, it's a word that is used negatively. Now here it's used in a positive fashion, but, but in other places it's used in a negative fashion. It's, it's, a, it's actually a hunting phrase, a hunting word. And one of the places we see it used negatively is actually from David himself. This is Psalm, or I'm sorry, this is a 1 Samuel chapter 26. And here's what David said. He'd been running from Saul. Saul was the king, and and he was jealous of David, so he wanted to kill David. And David at one point says to Saul, look at this. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts, the word there is Rodoth, in the mountain. So here, right, he uses the word, David, and uses it negatively. He's talking about whenever Saul was trying to hunt him and kill him for 15 straight years. And then we come to Psalm 23, and what does David do with this word? He flips the script. And what he says is, look, just as Saul tried to hunt me down for 15 years in order to kill me, God's goodness and love will hunt me down even more than that. Because he goes on to say that that, that God's goodness, he says, his love who will pursue me not only for 15 years, but notice for how long. He says, I know that God's love, that his goodness will come after me day after day after day for all the days of my life, past, present, and future. So if you go to David and you say, wait a minute now, David, hang on, hang on a second. What about the day you lost your best friend? David would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. God's goodness and love came after me on that day. Well, what about whenever four of your kids died prematurely? They would say, yeah, God's goodness and love. I look back on it, I can see how his, he was pursuing me then. What about whenever your son tried to steal your throne? Yeah, God's goodness and love 
Well, what about whenever you sinned big time, David? What about whenever you committed adultery and then you killed the, the lady's husband because you didn't want him to find out about it? He's like, yeah, I look back on that and I can see that even then in the midst of my biggest and, and, and darkest sins that God's goodness and love were following me. David said, I'm convinced that it's going to chase me down one way or the other. It's coming after me. It's hunting me. God's hunting me with his goodness and his love. You know, one of my heroes of the faith is Eugene Peterson. Don't agree with everything he says, but I think he was a phenomenal pastor. He's passed away now. And the guy loved his congregation so much that, that he learned Hebrew, he learned Greek, which is what the Old New Testament are, are written in. And, and, and then he literally, verse by verse and word by word, translated the Bible from its original language into a way that he felt like his blue-collar, kind of uneducated congregation could understand it because he really wanted them to have a relationship with God that badly. Uh, the, that, that, by the way, translation is now known as the Message Bible. It sold over 20 million copies worldwide. That wasn't his original intent, but that's what ended up happening to it. He also wrote over 30 books. And uh, over the last couple of years, I've been able to develop a little bit of a relationship with his son, Eric, who is a pastor right now. And Eric said that, that his dad basically is like, if you listen to my dad's sermons, he really just preached the same sermon over and over and over. And if you read his 30 books, he really just had the same message over and over and over. So it's the same message that he whispered into my ear every night as I was falling asleep. And here it is, right here. God loves you. He wants what is best for you. He's coming after you. He's relentless. That's it. God loves you. He wants what is best for you. He is coming after you. He is relentless. I just want to ask you this morning, like, do you believe that? I think I believe it when my life's going really well. You know what I'm saying? When things are going really well at the church, when I'm doing really well physically, when my family's doing really well, when my kids aren't acting the fool, right? Like when I'm getting to eat good, when nothing like appliances aren't breaking, which seems to happen every single week in the picnic household. The problem is, life doesn't always work really, really well for very long. I mean, like, can't we all just point to something in our life and say, like, yeah, I don't like that? Like, even right now in this moment? And so how do you continue to believe this about God, that his goodness and love will follow after us whenever our bodies are breaking down? How, how do we believe this? Like, whenever we don't get the promotion, when the relationship isn't restored, the prayer isn't answered. When I, yeah, I've been, it's hard to believe because I know I, you guys look really, really young to you guys, but I've been in pastoral ministry now for 20 years. 20 years. I've seen a lot in 20 years. I've seen a lot of people get really excited about Jesus and a lot of people then walk away from Jesus. And I sort of thinking this week, I, the people that I have seen walk away from God or walk away from the church, it's not because they doubted God's existence. It's because they doubted God's goodness. Yeah. I've not very, many, very, I've not met very many people that all of a sudden just come to a place like I no longer believe in God. I've met a lot of people who say I no longer believe God is good, because if God was good, He would not have let dot 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 dot. And therefore, because they believe that things since they didn't work out the way they thought they should have worked out, and God doesn't care, they no longer care themselves. And you see, this is a temptation I think for all of us. 
It is to say when life gets hard, when life gets difficult, clearly God does not care about me. Clearly he does not love me. And so I'm just done with this whole thing. Forget reading the Bible. I read the Bible every single day for three years. Where did that get me? I'm going to stop praying. I'm going to stop getting involved in community. Tithing, forget that. that that's crazy. Like I'm not, going to, I'm not going to keep doing all this stuff. And maybe that's where some of you are right now. Like you're getting very close to finally just kind of just one more bad thing is tipping you over to where you are heading in a completely different direction from where Christ is calling you to today. And if that is where you are with all the love in my heart, I just want to say I get it. I understand your heartache and your pain. But please, the best thing that you can do when life is hard and difficult is just to remain faithful to God, even in the mess and even in the mystery. Because what I have discovered over and over is if you will remain faithful to God, if you will trust him, even when life doesn't make sense, I'm telling you, there's coming a day, whether in this life or the next, where you're going to look back and see how God was using every single situation in your life, even the bad and horrific ones, for your good and his glory. One of the great examples that we have of this in the Bible is the story of Joseph. And you remember the story of Joseph if you've grown up in the church. Joseph was a man who was hated by his brothers because he was his dad's favorite. By the way, his parents, we shouldn't have favorites, right? But his dad did, and so his parents or his brothers and were just like, you know what? Like, man, screw this guy. Like, we're going to sell him into slavery. So that's what they do. They sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And so there he goes off to, to Egypt, and he becomes a slave in Potiphar's house, and things were going really, really well. But then uh, Potiphar's wife, apparently she was attracted to Joseph, thought he was good-looking, whatever else, and so she makes a pass at him. She hits on him. She grabs a hold of him, and Joseph has to get away from her. And, and while this happens, like she ends up, you know, uh, things get all just kind of weird and tangled up and all this, and she, she basically gets mad at Joseph, and she says, okay, well, since you don't want to sleep with me, I'm going to tell everyone that you raped me. And so she goes and she says, Joseph is actually the one that made the pass at me. He tried to get at me. I tried to resist him. And so he gets thrown into prison for a crime he does not commit. And while he's there for years and years and years, it seems like God has forgotten him, like God doesn't care about him. But Joseph remains faithful. One day, Pharaoh, who's the ruler over all of Egypt, pretty much all of the world, has a dream. He hears that David has been given the power by God to interpret dreams. So he brings Joseph in, says, what does my dream mean? Joseph tells him. The, the Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that he then brings him up, makes him second in command in all of Egypt. Meanwhile, there's a famine back in Israel where Joseph's brothers are. Joseph's dad ends up sending his brothers to Egypt to try to find someone to give them food so they can survive. And guess who Joseph's brothers run into while in Egypt? Little baby brother Joseph, who they probably thought was dead. And I want you to imagine for just a moment, a moment if you're Joseph. Have you ever been hurt by somebody like this? Your own flesh and blood sell you into slavery. Your life, for the last 10, 15 years, however it was, has become a living hell because of your brothers. And now here you are, and they're in front of you, and you're the second most powerful man on the planet. You could do whatever you want. How would you respond? Well, they're terrified now. They had no idea that baby brother Joseph was in this position. And they're scared, but in Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, look at this. This is incredible to me. Come close to me. Come close to me. And you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? He's going to kill these guys. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Okay, okay yeah, here we go. It's about to go like Quentin Tarantino on him, right? No, verse 5. 
And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Huh? For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. And then here's that famous verse that we often quote, Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended harm. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. All of those days I was suffering. On that day you sold me into slavery, God was using that for your good. On the day I was wrongfully accused for a crime I didn't commit, on the days and the years I sat alone in a prison cell, the goodness and the love of God was following me, not just for my good, but for the good of an entire nation. That's what our God does. When I was 14 years old, um, the church that my dad pastored at, there was a guy in the church who came to our family and said, hey, wherever you want to go in the world, I'll pay for it. Which, by the way, you're welcome to do the same if God so impresses on your heart to do that. <laughs> and our family researched, and we had never like gone anywhere other than Gulf Shores. That's where we went. Either St. Louis to watch the Cardinals or Gulf Shores. And that's it. And so, um, but we decided to go to Hawaii, which sounded great. But then we got on this this jet from uh, Memphis to Dallas, and, and this sucker, like, I don't know what, was it as a new guy on the flying the plane or what? But it's like, I've never had anything like it since then. I've been on a lot of planes. We had this turbulence, and things got shaky, and all of a sudden I got, like, queasy, and I'm like, oh, this is not good. Like, we got to get this, this plane, like, on the ground ASAP. And eventually, like, he landed the plane, we made it, and I've got a picture of this. This is me in the Dallas International Airport. That's that's 14-year-old Jared, all 105 pounds right there of twisted metal. And uh, and I was done. I was done. I literally looked at my mom and my dad and I said, I'm not going any further. I said, what do you mean you're not going any further? Like, we got to get on the next plane to go to Hawaii. I said, I'm not going. You can't drag me back on a plane. I'm staying here for the next seven days. They got food here. They got stalls here. They got, they probably got showers here. If not, no big deal. I've got clothes. I'm staying right here. I'll see you when you get back. I was dead serious. Now, fortunately, uh, my dad was able to persuade me, uh, with so many words and, and we, we got on the plane and I'm glad that we did because eventually we made it to Hawaii and, and, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but, but Hawaii, is bigger, better, and way more beautiful than the Dallas International Airport, okay? It's a great trip. It's a great trip. <clears throat> and, and here's the reason I share that. Listen, in this life, we all experience turbulence. We all go through times that are dark and difficult and disorienting. And when that happens, man, I wanna, we want to get off that ride. What we want to do is we say, okay, God, you know what? I appreciate the journey thus far. It was a good idea following you, but I think I'm going to stop right here. Because this is not what I thought it was going to be. And so we just say, you know what? You go do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. No hard feelings. Like, I'm just, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it anymore. And I just want to say to you, man, like, in those moments, what you need to believe and what I need to believe is that we have a pilot whose name is Jesus. 
who knows where we need to go more than we know where we need to go. He knows what awaits us on the other side. And if we will continue to trust him and let him lead us, if we will stay with him, even when life gets hard, he will, in fact, I'm telling you, whether in this life or the next, lead you into a place that is bigger and better and more beautiful than you could ever imagine. And when I look back on my life, man, like I see this isn't just true when it comes to a vacation. This is true when it comes to my vocation. I mean, how did we get here today? You ever thought about that? How did this, what, what, how did we get here in this room, in this specific church? I started thinking about that this past week, and, and part of it has to do with the church split. Whenever I was a teenager, my dad pastored a church, and the church had a horrific split. Splits, by the way, are never of God. It was a horrific, horrific thing. It's a very dark and difficult season in the, in the life of, of me and my family and so many others who are a part of that. But in this dark and difficult season, there was a pastor who befriended my dad, who I got to know. And he came to me one day and found out that I had been ministering to college students. And he said, hey, quit your job, and the church that I pastor at will pay you to keep doing whatever you're doing, which was awesome. I'm like, you're going to pay me to talk about Jesus? That's amazing. And so I went on staff at this church. I kind of fell into it. I wasn't looking for vocational ministry. I fell into this church. I was on this staff, and then that guy eventually leaves, and a new guy named Dr. Steger came on staff, and he said, you got a lot of passion, really don't know a whole lot, no offense, so you should go to seminary. I said, well, I can't afford seminary, and he said, well, I'll tell you what, the president of the seminary, he's one of the top seminaries in the country, he owes me a favor, so I will get you the presidential scholarship. So I'll go head off to seminary. While I'm there in Louisville, Kentucky, I'm there on the third floor of Manly Hall, probably uh, eating a, a, a party pizza, whatever those things were, those 99-cent pizzas. And Paulo from Brazil, I'm one of two Americans on the whole floor. A guy named Paulo comes by here, and he says, hey, come on, man, you're coming with me to Sojourn. I was like, I don't know what Sojourn is, but all right, I don't have any friends. So I go within the Sojourn Community Church, and while I'm there, I learn about this thing called church planting. Never heard of it before. I thought churches, just new churches started because they split off others because they got mad at somebody. And he's like, no, 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 there's a thing called church planning. It's actually the healthy way to start churches. And these people begin to pour into me, and they saw something to me I didn't see in myself. And they said, you're called by God to plant a church. And so in 2008, after a lot of just, you know, series of events, I wrote in my journal, sitting in my dorm room, I do believe God has called me to move back to Paragol to plant a church in this city. Four years later, the church was planted. Now, here's the thing. Think about this. Just do some reverse engineering. If there had not been a church split, I would have never met Brother Scott. If I'd never met Brother Scott, I wouldn't know Dr. Steger. If I didn't know Dr. Steger, I would have never got a presidential scholarship to seminary. If I'd never got that presidential scholarship, I'd never moved to Louisville. If I'd never lived in Louisville, I'd never gone to Surgeon. I'd never heard about church planning. I don't think any of us would be here right now. And I'm not trying to, to be clear. Listen, I'm not saying that God calls that church split. I'm not saying God causes evil or, or, or bad things or turbulence in our life. But what I am saying is when we trust God, he is doing something, y'all. He's doing something. We trust him, and when we trust him, what we find is that if we hang with him, eventually he takes the bad things and he lovingly turns them into things that are better and beautiful than we could ever imagine. That's the first point. Second point, and for those of you that are freaking out, I thought that was kind of a long first point. This one will be much quicker. Not only does David want us to see how confidence and courage comes from God's continual pursuit of us, but he also wants us to realize it comes from God's continual presence with us. Back to verse 6. Surely, certainly, without a doubt, the goodness and love of God will follow me all the days of my life. And, here we go, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I am the product of the 80s and the 90s. 
grew up going to church in the 80s and the 90s, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And my parents were here, by the way, in the first service today. Um, and so I think it vouch for this. But what I would often hear as a little kid is, son, you need to dress your best. You need to put on your Sunday best. Why? Because we're going to the house of the Lord today. We're going to the house of God. Which, no offense to Life Baptist Church, I remember thinking, you know, God really doesn't have as nice as a house as I thought he would. You know, it's like, you'd think he'd at least update the carpet every 30 or 40 years. <clears throat> but I grew up, and when I thought of the house of the Lord, I thought of this building, this church building. That's where we go to experience God's presence. Now, here's where that idea comes from. It comes from the Old Testament. And this is what David is referring to here. He's talking about, when he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he's talking about the temple. In the Old Testament, that was the only place that you could experience the presence of God. That's in the Old Covenant. We don't live in the Old Covenant anymore. We are in the New Covenant. Say, why does that matter? Because here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, listen to this, your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Where's the temple? The temple is not in a building. The temple is not out there. If you have trusted in Christ, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, your body, your body is the house of the Lord. It is the place where God himself now dwells. And the reason that matters is because if you have trusted in Christ, what that means is no matter where you are or what you have done or what you're going through right now, you have access, you have access into the presence of God every minute of every day forever. There is no place you can go, Christian, or nothing that you can encounter that God is not already there with you. And if this truth, man, if this truth would go from being like, oh, okay, I'll write that down in a paper to like, it's going to settle down into your heart, then and only then can you live with the confidence and the courage to face whatever the world throws at you. Some of you, maybe you look at people who do like hard things for Jesus or seem to have joy and hope and peace, and you're like, oh, I wish I could just like make myself get there. You don't muster that up within yourself. People who you look at who have this joy and hope and peace, this courage and confidence, like, like, like courage, courage doesn't come from something that you muster in yourself. Courage is choosing to commune with the God who has already chosen to commune with you. Psychiatrist Kurt Thompson, he says this, he says, courage is not just about me having something no one else has. Hear that today. Courage isn't just like, I don't have something somebody else has. Courage is about me having somebody else within me, talking about God, who enables me to do hard things that I otherwise could not do on my own. When I moved off to Louisville, Kentucky, honestly, I'm just going to be real vulnerable with you. I was somewhat of a mama's boy. That's probably super surprising to you guys. I had never really, like, never really left town you know, I mean, like through, Con I moved off to Conway one time and I was like, this is too hard. Like I need my mom to do my laundry and cook for me and all that kind of stuff. So I moved back home. Just, that's just true talk, y'all. And, 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 and it was just hard for me. Like I'm out, I'm going to move to Louisville, Kentucky, you know, seven hours away and, and live in this dorm. And I like my privacy. Y'all know I'm a germaphobe, right? I shared a bathroom with 16 people. 14 of them were internationals. It wasn't easy. Had a little bitty room. I mean, like 
half the size of what's in there. I mean, and I remember I'm driving to Louisville, and there's thought hit me like, what am I doing? I can't do this. Jared Pickney don't have that kind of courage. That's for like other people who actually really love the Lord. Those are for like the hardcore people. Like they do, I can't do, that's not for me. And I remember the Lord spoke to me, Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, will be with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. Picking up on the same idea, the Apostle Paul, a man who had been beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned, and abandoned, he said this, Philippians chapter 4, The Lord is near, therefore do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is near. You want to have confidence? You want to have courage no matter the circumstance? Here's how you do it. Trust that the Lord, who is the source of all that is good and beautiful and true, that he is more near to you than the skin on your body. Trust that whenever you're home alone tonight and you feel like nobody cares, God is near. Trust that whenever you go to school tomorrow or you go to work or you go to work out at the gym, God is near. When your kids are sick, when your parents are fighting, when that spouse fails to meet your needs, God is near. When the doctor calls with bad news, the bank account runs low, or things just don't turn out the way you thought they would, God is near. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, at one time you were without hope because you were without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself, he himself is our peace. If you want proof of God's pursuit of you, look to Jesus. If you want proof of God's presence with you, Look to Jesus. Trust Jesus. That is the invitation from Psalm 23. Trust him as your good shepherd. And to trust him as the good shepherd, what does it mean? We talked about it in week one. It means to trust that he is your leader. And to trust Jesus as your leader is to trust him with the path and the pace of your life. Listen to me, guys, and I'm almost done. Band's going to come forward. Jesus will not always lead you where you want to go. He will not always lead you where you think you need to go. Focus here. We're almost done. To trust Jesus as the leader is to trust him with the path and the pace of your life. To trust Jesus as your good shepherd, it means to trust him as your owner. To trust that because Jesus owns you, that he cares for you more than you care for yourself. To trust Jesus as your good shepherd means that you trust that Jesus cares more about you than you care about you. He cares more about your kids than you care about your kids. He cares more about your, your spouse. He cares more about your job. He cares more about any of that stuff than you ever could. Trust Jesus as your good shepherd. It means that you trust him as your leader, as your owner. It also means you trust him as your, as your provider, it's a trust. God's not going to always give me what I want, but he will always give me what I need. It's like we said in the first week. Some of you are here right now, and you're like, well, I'm barely hanging by a thread right now. Okay, well, at least you're hanging by a thread. That means God's still got you. He's still giving you what you need. He's still giving you your daily bread. Trust him 
as your protector, that there's nothing that ultimately can come into your life now, not even hell, not death, not sin itself, can do anything to you because of Christ. And trust him today as the good shepherd, which means to trust him that he is your physician, that he can handle your biggest sin or heal you of your deepest wounds. It's only whenever you believe this can you say, like David in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.